This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. We are finally into the month of December as 2017 winds down. It is Tuesday, December 5th. The winter meetings are right around the corner, and today we're talking at Reds baseball with our good friend Mark Sheldon, Reds reporter for MLB.com. Mark, we thank you uh, for the time today, and uh, Mark, uh, the Reds, along with uh, 22 other teams in baseball, have learned that they will not be acquiring the services of the uh, Japanese phenom Shohei Otani as a uh, Pretty much uh, within two days after he was posted, uh, he gave his list of the destinations that he wanted to end up in. A lot of West Coast teams, the Reds are clearly not that. So, uh, again, the Reds, one of the uh, 23 teams not on the list uh, for Otani. And I know there's varying degrees of uh, disappointment depending on what team you are with regards to uh, the hopes you had of landing this guy. So, on that scale, where does the Reds' disappointment rank that they're not even going to be given a chance to try to woo this guy and get him to uh, Cincinnati next season? Well, unfortunately, I've not been able to get a hold of any of the uh, Reds' front office people on the phone, so uh, I've not heard from Dick Williams. I, I put in a request for it, and I wasn't able to get him. But I can tell you is that they made a full-court press to try to get him. They worked very hard going back to September to prepare their recruiting materials. They, they wanted him badly, and they knew they were long shots. So I'm sure they're not too shocked that they're not on the last uh, you know, set of finalists. But you know, Dick Williams was among several MLB executives who went to Sapporo to, to watch uh, Otani's last game. Came away very impressed. Uh, he also uh, really tried to you know, work to put, a, put together recruiting material that might appeal to him. Uh, they they kind of realized because he was coming out at the time he was that he wasn't necessarily chasing the top dollar. The Reds were uh, capped at $300,000 with their inter- international pool money. So they knew they had to appeal to his senses outside of that, and they thought maybe the, the market size, the fact that he had a chance to be on a team that's on the cusp of uh, you know getting out of rebuilding and getting into contending maybe would appeal to him um, and things like that, and, and it just didn't it didn't work out. So they're gonna. Uh, go back to the drawing board and, and see what else they can come up with. Yeah, like you said, it's it's interesting that, uh, you know, he doesn't necessarily want top dollar. He doesn't necessarily want to play in a big market. Uh, he seems to prefer the West Coast. And uh, with the exception of the Cubs, uh, all the teams on his list uh, are West Coast teams. The Rangers, too. They play in the West, but they're clearly not a, a West Coast team. So very uh, interesting list that uh, Otani had with where he wants to end up in the major leagues. But uh, the Reds, unfortunately, not on it. And, Mark, you had a very interesting note, which I don't think uh, many people realize. I certainly did it before I read it. The Reds are the only team in the major leagues to have never signed a Japanese player. I found that, again, interesting and rather surprising. So when you look back, Mark, have the Reds ever been close to signing a Japanese player or have the circumstances, for whatever reason, just not been quite right? They've definitely not been close from my knowledge. I've never known them to be in the hunt for the Hideki Matsui's or even the guys, you know, Kaz Matsui or Sotoguchi, even the, the kind of the, the lower-tier Japanese players. 
what I can tell you is that they had a very Spartan Asian scouting uh, department uh, in much of the time I've been covering the Reds. But on the last year or so, under Dick Williams, they've decided to ramp it up, and they've added a, a bigger presence in Asia. They are going to start scouting more in Japan. Uh, when Williams went over there to, to look at Otani, he also wanted to signal to Japanese clubs around that league that the Reds were open for business with Japanese players, and they wanted Japanese players to know that as well. So they, they are hoping that even maybe not players obviously as big as Otani, but other Japanese players could view the Reds as a destination to further their careers, and, and they're certainly open to doing that uh, despite some of their international pool restrictions. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a market that they want to uh, start tapping into a little bit more. Yeah, and it appears that uh, 2018 will not be the year that the first uh, Japanese player joins uh, the Reds organization, but maybe it is uh, somewhere uh, down the road in the not-too-distant future. And, Mark, to uh, to wrap up the Otani discussion, your personal opinion, are you buying into the hype? Uh, do you think this guy is everything that uh, he's been being billed to be as the, the Japanese Babe Ruth, so to speak, or do you think that maybe it's a little overblown? I'm sure to a degree it's overblown. I have not ever really seen him play. I didn't get to catch any of the time he was in the World Baseball Classic, but I will say that when you can throw about 100 miles an hour and hit with power from the left side, uh, that's a pretty good pedigree, and I'm, I'm sure there's going to be some level of adjustment to the major leagues. Being that he was on a, on a schedule in Japan where he pitched once a week and hit the other days, he, I don't know how he would fit into a five-man rotation and whether uh, uh, major league pitching would wear him down as a hitter or not. But I, I'm definitely interested to see what he can do. I guess the Reds, in a sort of a way, have their own version of Otani and Hunter Green that uh, will hopefully, for them, make his way up to the system. He's a guy that can supposedly hit really well and obviously pitch about 100 miles an hour. Uh, so maybe they'll get their, their version of Babe Ruth uh, in the next few years or so. And, Mark, that is actually a perfect segue to the next topic, which brings us to the uh, just-concluded Reds Fest uh, in Cincinnati. And Hunter Green, of course, was on hand. And uh, one of uh, many highlights uh, for the fans that attended the Reds Fest. And, uh, you know, Hunter kind of saying to you and other media members, you know, I'm an 18-year-old kid. I don't know what the big deal is. Well, the big deal is what you just talked about. He can throw triple digits. He can hit for power. And he may be the next big, uh, the next big thing in baseball. Of course, that's years away. He's still a teenager, of course. But, you know, talk about that. Talk about some of the other uh, highlights uh, from your perspective from the 2017 Reds Fest. This Reds Fest was a little unique in the sense that Obviously, there was the regular star power of the current roster, Joey Votto topping the list, but Billy Hamilton and Adam Duvall, et cetera, et cetera. But this year, it seemed like the prospects were getting a lot of attention, namely Nick Senzel, their number one prospect, and Hunter Green, the number two prospect. Senzel came to Reds Fest last year, but he wasn't exactly a household name to the way that Green was. And sure enough, when the very first autograph session that had Green involved was happening uh, midway Friday afternoon, there were several hundred people already lined up, and the line was closed. They, they already had to close the line because it hit capacity. And he signed everyone's stuff, and he was a big draw at Red Fest. Uh, anytime I saw his name on an autograph session, the line was full. And, and Senzel was getting that way as well. I think there's a lot of hype for both players. They know the fans. They, 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 these guys are part of the future. There's a great expectation that they'll be in the major league soon. Senzel could be in the major league as soon as uh, 2018. Hunter Green, possibly a minimum of two years away. But uh, there's a lot of expectations, and, and people want to see Hunter Green. His, his reputation obviously precedes himself, and he handled himself extremely well. Just talking to him, you would never know he's an 18-year-old kid. Mm. He sounds like he could be 35 or 40. He's just 
a, a very gracious, a very uh, very poised human being, and, and he seems to get it. He autographed everybody's stuff on a personal level, which is a bit of a departure. It made the line go slower, but I think fans appreciated the personal attention and the chance to talk to him. No question. And uh, you go back to when he appeared on the cover of uh, SI over the summer, and people were likening that to when LeBron James appeared on SI's cover as a, I don't know, 16- or 17-year-old, you know, with the label The Chosen One, and they were, you know, they nailed that one, and they're hoping that's uh, Hunter Green, that the hype and the projections for him are as LeBron-esque as they were uh, back for the King all those uh, years ago. So uh, Hunter Green is off to a good start, and uh, we'll see if that continues as he continues to uh, mature and uh, improve his game. Mark, to wrap up uh, this week, what we're doing is uh, looking back at some wheelings and dealings from uh, past years at the winter meetings, which get underway in earnest on uh, Sunday and continue all throughout uh, next week. So Take us back to uh, 2006, uh, almost a dozen years ago, and a very interesting tale on how the Reds got their hands on Josh Hamilton. I don't think people uh, quite realize something that was in place before the Rule 5 draft even occurred, and this was interesting as to how Hamilton, after battling those uh, you know horrific drug issues he had uh, back when he was originally drafted with the Rays, he comes back, uh, he ends up in a Reds uniform, and take us through how that actually happened. Yes, it's an interesting story. The meetings back then were also in Orlando, and it was a very quiet week for the Reds. And then suddenly the Cubs announced they uh, were taking Josh Hamilton in the Rule 5, and then they promptly flipped him to the Reds. And the backstory is, is that Hamilton, uh, the Reds realized that Hamilton had cleared waivers uh, during the winter and was on the Tampa Bay AAA roster available for the Rule 5 draft. And Chris Buckley, the Reds' director of amateur scouting, uh, scouted Hamilton extensively when he was uh, the number one pick in 99, uh, back when he when Hamilton went to the, the Rays and when Buckley was at Toronto. So he had a pretty good knowledge of, of what Hamilton could do back then. Obviously, after all the drugs and suspensions, it wasn't exactly the same as he used to be, but uh, he, they found out he was working out in Clearwater. They took a lot of looks at him. They got a lot of tips that he possibly had put his drug problems behind him, and they took a long look at him. And they, they compiled the intel, and, and Buckley ran it by Wayne Krisky, who was then the general manager, and they realized that it wouldn't be much of a, of a risk if they took him. It would be a $50,000 risk. But the one problem they had was that that year the Reds were the 15th pick in the Rule 5 draft, and they were worried that other teams would uh, take Hamilton ahead of them, and maybe they were all thinking the same thing. So sure enough, the Cubs uh, made it known that they were not taking a player in the Rule 5. They drafted third. And Chris Buckley had a relationship with the director of scouting for the Cubs and Tim Wilkin. Uh, actually, Wilkin was the best man in Buckley's wedding. Hmm. They worked together in Toronto for 16 years, so they really knew each other well. And at a scouting gala during the uh, winter meetings, uh, they uh, came together on a deal. They, they wrote it out on a cocktail napkin. Uh, they wouldn't tell who they didn't tell the Cubs who they wanted. They just said, "We want to move up and take your pick." And they agreed to give the Cubs $50,000. And then about a minute before the draft was actually made, Buckley handed Wilkin the piece of paper. Wilkin opened it, looked at and saw the name, Josh Hamilton, and said, go big or go home. And he really liked the pick, and he, he stuck to his word, obviously. The deal was done, so he, the Cubs went ahead and took Hamilton, and, and the Reds got him. And it was uh, it really did kind of work out for them that one season. He was uh, – he hit about 292 and 17 homers. He was on the DL twice and some durability issues, but they got what they what they hoped from him at least in that year. And, and then, then they turned around and they flipped him to Texas uh, the following season for Edison Volquez, kind of fearful that he might break down. They were concerned about his, uh, his injuries and, his, and things like that. 
They, they maybe sold him a little too soon because obviously Hamilton went on to great things with the Rangers, had an MVP season, but uh, the Reds are definitely responsible for getting Josh Hamilton back on track in Major League Baseball. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, you look at what uh, Hamilton did, and uh, like you said, maybe the Reds gave up on him a bit too soon because I think about two or three years after that, he, like you said, had that MVP season, had the unforgettable uh, home run derby performance at the old Yankee Stadium, and, uh, you know, certainly made the most of his second opportunity uh, to wear a big league uniform. Mark Sheldon, great stuff as always. We thank you for the time, and we'll do it again at this time next week. In the meantime, Matt Wehmeyer signing off for MLB.com Extras, Cincinnati Reds. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 Major League Baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.